0: Welcome to another episode of Your Business Story Podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Spencer, and I want to ask Have you ever wondered what goes on behind the scenes when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion? In today's episode, you are going to find
1: out. This is Kristen. She's on a business writing mission to make sure you know what words to say so that what you deserve is what you will get paid. Because storytelling changes everything. Get pumped for the epic knowledge in today's episode of
0: Your Business Story. This is episode 24 of season one, Strategies for Better Inclusion with Julia Geisman. Today, I am joined by a wise woman who is going to tell us her amazing story and help us understand how if we are not inclusive, everyone loses. Welcome so much, Julia Geisman. How are you doing today, Julia?
1: Thanks for having me. And um, I'm doing great. It's great weather. How can you do, you know, poorly in great weather?
0: That's true. Sunshine is a literal medicine.
1: Yes, it is. Definitely is. And it's fall in New England, which is one of my favorite seasons.
0: Oh, yeah, that's true. I'm in Pennsylvania, but it's like one of my dreams to travel north during the leaves because I want to see different trees. Like, you know, we have trees here that are gorgeous, but I'm always uh, my aunt was traveling down to go back to Tennessee. And she's like, you have to go north. The trees are different. I'm like, "Okay, I hear you. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I remember I lived in Colorado for many years. And I remember when I came back and I experienced my first. Fall and it literally took my breath away. You know, when they say breathtaking, that's really what it did. It was like a Monet painting to me.
0: It's like magic. I know I always, I like, I want to believe that I heard someone else say this, that it's the most beautiful dying. But I tried to put it in a book and my copy editor was like, I researched this for four hours yesterday and I couldn't find anyone else saying that but you. And I was like, Okay, well, maybe I just made it up. I don't know.
1: <laughs> well, maybe it's also another way of saying, yeah, yeah, it's just a beautiful way to die and to be resurrected in the spring.
0: Right. It's seasonal, but it's just like everything. It's You have to see it. For any people like me who grew up on the West Coast and you've never seen it, you should do it. I know that people will call you a, what is it? Leaf peeper? I think. But it's worth the name because the beauty is, like Julia said, breathtaking. Okay, so that's enough of a PSA for traveling (laughs) to this part of the world this time of year. So one of the things that I was really interested in talking to you about was your journey to get to where you are now. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you a couple of questions that will help you share with our listeners how you got where you are and what you do today. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. And I'm going to take notes because I'm a note taker. Okay. So what is the most important problem that you solve for your client right now? And who is your client? What kind of person?
1: You know, that's a really interesting question because I think systemically, in other words, I take a look at the entire situation and all the various pieces that go into it. And as I mentioned, I, I focus on inclusion. So for the corporate world, it's like, do they have an inclusive work environment where everybody has an equal voice, equal, you know, I want to actually say equitable voice, mm-hmm. equitable opportunities to develop in advance. But the environment could be fabulous, could be really in, uh, supportive. But if the women themselves and people, um, you know, other marginalized people within an organization don't let themselves be known, then it, then it doesn't matter how inclusive the work environment is. Mm-hmm. they are not going to still feel included. It's a, it's a slippery slope. Conversely, if an organization is excluding people, which costs them significant monies between, you know, um, attrition between lack of innovation um, between, you know, with the reputation on the street of not being a particularly great place to work, it costs them money. But if the people, you know, women and other, again, other people who are passed over, are uh, you know, are really in their game and really present, but the organization ignores that, hmm. then what happens is they will leave. And anytime a, um, an employee walks out of, a, of, of, a, of an organization, they actually, the organization not only, in addition to having the expense of replacing that person, but the IP walks out. And in Mm -hmm. the intellectual property and sometimes, oftentimes the clients are taken, they leave too. So it's a, it's a, it's a combination of both. And given the way we have behavioral expectations all around, everybody has them. Yeah. um, Based upon unconscious biases, and negative stories that we have going on, especially for women between our ears, it creates a really interesting conundrum for women, particularly.
0: Right. And what do you say? Cause I know it's always like, One of those things we talk about is the expense, right? The physical expense that exclusion causes. Mm -hmm. And I love how you said that there's also the IP that walks out the door because it's true. I feel like a lot of inclusion specialists, though, are really vocal about the monetary expense because it's a way to wake up corporations and say, hey, you're doing yourself a disservice by behaving this way.
1: Uh, yes and no, the, as far as the, the focus, financial focus. You, you can talk about financial impacts, but here's here is the crux of the matter. You have to have data regarding the environment, objective data, Mm -hmm. that will really identify those areas where there are, I would say, leaks, significant leaks, where the organization is vulnerable. And then you can come up with a solution that will actually enhance the organization, which will then impact profitability. So, you know, we all have knee-jerk reactions, to right. ideas that don't align with our own thinking, mm-hmm. or that challenge our thinking, that right. may challenge yeah. our in, our you know our intellectual capabilities, we always say no to that. As opposed to having a curiosity, we do that with people as well. Knee jerking through oh that person they don't have the same pedigree, they have didn't go to the same schools, etc. Therefore what they see and what they bring to the conversation is less important than people that I know. And then finally, it's, we do it, you know, it's a matter of stepping out of our comfort zone, you know, and how many people are willing to step out of their comfort zone and fail because when you, yeah, because it's a learning, it's a learning opportunity. So if, if you stay in your comfort zone, which means having the courage to, Hear are other people's ideas to accept people for who they are before we evaluate whether or not they can do the job is the crux of the problem. Okay. And that's organizationally and that's individually.
0: So you think a lot of it has to do with improper assumptions. Is that a fair thing to say?
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> we, we live our lives based on, on assumptions, and I don't know about you, but my mother taught me how to spell "assume."
0: Yes, I have you a know, whole chapter titled that in my previous book. I was yeah, like, I'm just going for
1: it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's true. And here's here's the real problem: organizations will bring in DEI consultants. I, this is an eighty billion dollar, eight billion dollar industry. Wow. $8 billion, if not more. And the needle has not really been moved um, substantially. There's the quiet quitting. There's the active quitting. Now, I read something about how, you know, new hires will come in, check the war, you know, check the organization out, stay for a short time period, and they're out. Yep. You know, so then you have the people who are who don't want to come back in. Then you have the people who are disengaged. You know, that's the quite quitting. I mean, that's another way of putting it. Right. So so the implications of ignoring and and dismissing possibilities is significant. So they have people come in and do unconscious bias training. All the research is saying it doesn't work. And if it does, the people who it can cause resentment. um, Because or some people say, why should I go? I'm not. I don't. I don't have any unconscious biases and it's a waste of money because the research, in fact, I attended a a session with one of the Harvard business school professors who's done a lot of research in this area. He said, if it does stick, it's usually it's, it's about two weeks and it's usually white women. (laughs) I, I kid you not. I, believe, that's really I mean, it sounds awful
0: because I believe it, right? If it sounded outlandish, I wouldn't be offended.
1: <laughs> well, but that's what it is. And then organizations will do all these different ERGs. Well, it's kind of checking off the box because there's no substantive change. And then organizations will do headcount. How many people did we hire? How many people did we promote? How many people are in... You know, various positions within your organization. And then they'll do engagement surveys. This is how they measure the impact of inclusion. Oh. Oh, DE&I. the success of their DE&I initiatives. And okay. the data, you know, slicing and dicing the data and so forth and so on. So I, for years, have said guess what, folks? It's not about engagement, it's about perception of the organization. The overall perception, because what happens is I may have a fabulous experience, the person next to me may not. Because that's and yes, individual experience influences the perception of the entire organization. So, this is a, this is one of the big problems that you know companies throw money, significant money, significant money. At I. right? Without number one having a true, authentic commitment to it, check off the box, and number two, to to show th- they're a good group,
0: right? You it's know? not sincere, is that what you're saying? Like they're just doing it to appease people.
1: Yeah, and also I'm not sure they really want to see what's under the hood, you know? Because I know a number of chief diversity officers who have been hired. Especially after George Floyd's murder, there was an uptick in, right. you know, hiring DEI and i people, but they don't have resources.
0: Right. They can't actually do anything. I was I don't know if you've seen there's this whole documentary called. Um, oh, gosh, what's it called? But it's about Victoria's Secret. And they do. And there's also one about Ember Crombie and Fitch, which were um, created by the same person. Right. right. And they interviewed both the DE&I officers and you could tell they they couldn't do anything like they interviewed all these diversity experts and then they would interview them. And basically their diversity work ended when they got those jobs opposite of what it should be. Yeah. Yeah. So how would you. So the next question you already answered, which is what is the biggest pain your client is in right now and what do they think they need to do to solve it? And you're saying they think they just need to do like make these like a certain number of diversity hires. They need to do these unconscious bias trainings and none of these work. So what do they actually need to solve this problem? You said it's about perception, but how do they address that?
1: Mm. Well, of course, I'm going to be very biased in my response to that. Okay, but I
0: welcome your bias because your ideas are valuable when we're pulling ideas together, right? Yeah.
1: Well, I think so. Other people <laughs> may challenge that. Um, look, you have to be willing to understand the perception is the critical piece. Because when you take a look at all the HR activities, they are all designed to create a perception of the company as being a, you know, a great place to work. That is the whole essence of HR, but but and it's perception, right? right. But there is no benchmark mm. for understanding again, because I think systemically for understanding the the impact that the totality of those programs have on employee perception. So when uh, the the uh, the scorecard that we have is based upon is looking at all of the functions within HR, the culture, development, advancement of opportunities, as well as the overall work environment, from having the support people need in order to really succeed in their jobs, to feeling psychologically safe, to feeling heard, et cetera. So when we our our questions or statements. Are really around the organization, has senior leadership, does my management, does, and it's not about my manager, it's about the general perception of management. And then, what we take a look at, and this is really fascinating to me, is that we take a look at the organizational alignment, which means that the CEO, the C suite folks respond to the same set of statements as everybody else. And then and then we also take a look at the data from the intersection. I'm not going to talk, say intersectionality, the intersection of position and demographic information. Looking for differences in perception mm-hmm. and looking and evaluating differences in perception between the demographic groups. And I can tell you the data that we have is shocking how much there how much the C suite is out of touch with what's really going on. So, for example, albeit the, there were a few, there weren't a lot of people in the C suite um, in this particular organization, which is about five thousand employees. But twenty five percent of the respondents had no idea about the reputation of the company on the street. Huh. That's shocking. Yeah. And and you have to ask yourself, and I don't care how large the organization is because the people in leadership need to know this. And the people who report up every single layer should be aligned with the information that is being communicated so that everybody in the organization is no, knows.
0: Okay, so you've... I'm trying to uh, process this for someone who's not an expert, because I'm definitely not an expert in this. Um, So would you say that a lot of this breakdown happens because of poor communication?
1: Oh, absolutely. There's no question. And in fact, one of the solutions that we always recommend is a robust communication strategy specific to diversity, equity and inclusion. And now people are saying belonging. That's a whole nother conversation. Okay. It is specific to that because what it does is it changes the culture. It clearly expresses the criticality of creating an inclusive work environment. It communicates or or brings uh, um, it makes visible the invisible. And it also allows for alignment because everybody's saying everything, you know, similar uh, similar message but the right. main thing is if you want to if you want to change a culture change the messaging and you see it all around us right now and that was the change in the messaging and nobody came in and said well you will be this way you'll be that way you know it's like what's the consistent message over and over and over again
0: yeah, I understand that because that's what I do for businesses, right? I come in, I tear them apart. I'm like, what's really the thing that you want to say from now until 20 years from now that's going to stay the same? Right. Because if we're basing it on five years ago, we're in big
1: trouble. Right. And it's it also establishes the values of the organization. You know, because if you take a look at people's websites, oh, we're inclusive and so forth and so on. No, they're Or we're committed to DEI, and then they have stock photos they put in their website that shows diversity. But when you when you go there and look around, the question is, do you really see diversity?
0: Or if you see diversity, are the people who are part of the diverse groups? Having do they have that psychological safety, right, to express themselves. And I want to go back to something that you said a few minutes ago, because this little question mark popped up in my head. So you were talking about the difference between C-suite employees and everyone else. And I wanted to ask because I've been talking to a lot of C suite women and their experience is not the same as what men experience. So have you noticed a difference in that?
1: Oh, significant. And, you know, in the data that we have, we break it in one case, we broke it out by gender. And and the differential between the way the uh, male respondents, Uh, you know, rated everything versus the way the women, the female respondents and, and people who did not fall, you know, in one of those binary categories, we didn't have enough people within the organization to protect their identity. So we aggregated all that data.
0: Okay. And
1: um, what we found is the, the differential starting at the staff level, um, it, was, it was significant. And even if, if, for example, the male respondents had no idea about, you know, promotions, whether development opportunities, et cetera, and it started at the staff level. Well, if it starts at the staff level, then it's going to persist as they continue to advance in their career. The other thing, too, is systems. You know, mm-hmm. what type of systems can you in, can you implement in an organization that will promote equanimity? Right. Uh, you know, equitable. Yeah, that's it. How, how do you do that? <laughs> that seems like a really big question. Well, it's not really a big question. It's a big undertaking. Right. OK, so I, I just want to qualify that so. Many, many, many organizations have no well-defined, well-articulated objective competencies for each position. They have job descriptions. That's great. But what are the skills and competencies that are required to execute that particular activity? So that's number one. A lot of companies, and, you know, the company, there are, I don't want to make a blanket statement. Nobody's doing this. There are companies that are doing this. Right, yeah. And career pathing, you know, what are the competencies for each step along the way within a particular career path? That's number one. That's called a performance management system, a performance management system, as opposed to the annual appraisal process or review process. Oh, let's wait till once a year. <laughs> once It seems a year. fair.
0: And then we'll just oh, dump everything totally you've fair. been doing wrong on yeah. you and make you feel awful. And then you'll want to quiet quit or you'll want to actively quit. Right. Right. Oh, it's like
1: you never told me. Yeah. How can you I change something I when you're just being quiet said, about it? Really? So, you know, performance management system, a a really good one is really around developing the individual and uh, fostering an ongoing conversation between the team player or team member and his or her or their manager. And having goals of, it's a development conversation. Mm-hmm. So one of the things when I was in corporate, I made sure I had a good relationship with my manager such that I he knew exactly what I wanted pretty much all the time. I I and I was doing some pretty radical things while I was there. I'm surprised,
0: and, I'm not surprised.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You know, and and I I got I uh, um, engaged him in right. in really supporting what I wanted to do. All right, let's
0: take a few seconds for our sponsor break because their business stories matter too.
1: When people ask what you do as a professional, do your palms and pits start to sweat? Do you break out in hives? Well, don't worry, we've got you covered. Today, you can take Literary Symmetry's complimentary 30-minute masterclass to help you craft your one big sentence so that next time you have 60 seconds to share your story, you know exactly what to say. Because your business story matters. Sign up today at LiterarySymmetry.com forward slash pathway. And now, back to our episode about an epic business owner just like you. But I know, and... Whenever, and this is one of the things women don't do well, and this is a problem, especially when it comes to promotions within organizations, they don't let their managers know what they've done. Because we're taught, oh, don't brag about yourselves. Yeah, no self-promotion here. But I, (laughs) I always went into my boss, whenever there was a win, I was, oh, God, Ron, I really made you look great. (laughs) You know, the the team just did so much as opposed to I did it. But he knew exactly what I was saying.
0: Well, how do you how do you deal with that difference? Right. Because you don't want to go in and be bragging on yourself. And some men do notice like I'm I consider myself to be married to one of the most empathetic. And he just notices details. Right. My husband. He knows when I'm upset way before I tell him from the tiniest things because he pays attention. So how do we know as, let's say, women and non-binary friends? And I just want to shout out, if you are a non-binary C-suite executive, please contact me. I would love to have you on my show. You need that voice, and I would love to give it to you. Um, But how do we handle this? How can we be like... Not like a bull in a china shop when we're trying to figure out, is this male C-suite executive listening and paying or te- and a- paying attention or do I need to make them pay attention? And how can I do that in a way that I won't be resented?
1: Well, well, that's a really good question. Um, one is, the question is, why are you reporting into the C-suite? You know, are you in a role where you are part of the the strategic management team?
0: Right. So let's say it is someone who's part of the strategic management or it's someone who isn't, who's reporting to their manager, let's say. Like, let's say someone who's a level above them that they're reporting to. What are the signs we can look for so that we don't? I mean, I'm fine seeming pushy. (laughs) Personally, I don't have a problem if people think I'm pushy because I want to make other people's voices amplified. But let's say someone doesn't that doesn't fit their personality, that doesn't fit how they operate. What can they do?
1: Well, again, it it goes back to the performance management system and building a relationship with with um, their their manager. Um, you know, and on one hand, Man, you know, it's incumbent upon a manager because good management is really, you know, skills really revolves around coaching, you know, mentoring, bringing people up and putting time into that development, into the development of the individual and fostering some type of a relationship because the more involved or the, the tighter the relationship is between the manager and his, their team, then the more effective that team is going to be, the higher the retention, the higher the engagement, the higher of financial contribution to the organization, which makes the manager look really good. So it's incumbent upon the manager to foster that type of environment and an inclusive environment. But right. it's also incumbent upon the, um, the team member to step up to the plate, too, and to mutually develop that relationship. So, you know, we, we're we in a really difficult situation. Now, I don't want to say difficult, but changing situation mm. with, the hybrid, with the hybrid types of experiences or working conditions or working environment. And then we have people who are fully remote in another part of the country. And I think that's still evolving. But one of the things that managers need to do is make sure that they have one-on-ones with your team members, because, you know, you have to have that personal relationship. You know, I go back to kind of the meeting that you and I attend every Friday. How did those relationships evolve? You know, there's been time and people reach out to other people. Right. You know, so you can, you know, if you're a team member and you you want your man, reach out to the manager, your manager and say, hey, I, you know, I'd like to kind of sit down with you for a quick conversation just kind of see check in see where we're at what are some of the goals how can I support the goals etc that's number one number two this was a brilliant thing I heard I think on this American life okay they, they were talking about a woman who was a community activist in I think upstate New York and she was she just had the city council, by the cojones, she always got what she wanted. And wh- her technique was to go in, ask a question with a demand. In other words, and I'm, I started doing this. How do you think, or what do you think about the idea of XYZ? As opposed to going in and demanding it. Just say, okay. You now, what do you think about this? And so, you know, one of the things that I started doing is, do you think that this would be a valuable workshop for other women?
0: Well, you're giving them a chance to take ownership over your clever idea. I love that it's sneaky and so smart at the same time.
1: Yeah, it's asking a question, but making a suggestion.
0: Right. But you're making it seem like, hey, do you think this is a good idea? And then they're like, oh, yes, this is an amazing, great idea I
1: have. Right. So that's that's one way of letting people know. Or another another way is saying, you know, saying, you know, very gently and offline. I, I'm were you aware of that. Right. You know, because it's not about combative, it's about confronting. And confronting simply means looking at. Combative means going at going for the jugular.
0: Right. You're not looking for a solution when you're combative. Yeah. You're blaming. Yeah.
1: So there are a number of things that so for example in meetings. I have a whole workshop on inclusive building an inclusive mindset. And it revolves around five behaviors that everybody knows, you know, rather than saying, oh, here, you need to acquire a new skill. What we're doing is taking existing behaviors or skills and putting them in a different context. Okay, I like okay. that. So everybody knows what it is to be curious, right? Do you know anybody who's not curious?
0: No, okay, I don't. <laughs>
1: We all know what it is to be collaborative
0: mm-hmm. you know if
1: you play on a sports team you got a team working together that's collaboration right true yeah we all know what it is to adapt our communication style in order to get what we want or in order to be more effective so for example you might communicate one way with your family another way with friends another way with um, professional colleagues. We adapt our communication in such a way that we can get the message through. So everybody knows how to do that. I call it communication savvy. Right. The other is commitment. Everybody knows what it is to be committed to something. Whether or not, you know, there's certain contexts in which people don't want to be committed, but fundamentally everybody knows what, what commitment
0: they know what it means and they know what it looks like. Right.
1: Yeah, And they, and they know what it feels like. Yes. Okay. And finally courage. Now everybody at some point in their life had courage to do something, to step out of their comfort zone. It took, you know, internal fortitude, whatever it is, we all know what that feels like. Right. And we all know what the, what ensues as a result of, being courageous
0: and we also know what happens when we are afraid
1: absolutely the consequences of inaction
0: right exactly
1: yeah so when you start thinking about those those types of behaviors we all have them so what does it mean to be inclusive well one is to be curious and ask questions rather than knee-jerk no the other is having the courage to be collaborative Mm. Because it takes, and actually all of this takes courage fundamentally, you know, having the courage to, to let other people participate. You know, I, we all have friends like this and we call them high control people, right? (laughs) They don't let you, they don't let you participate. They have to take over everything.
0: Right. right? They're like, oh, that's not the way I would do it. AKA it's wrong. you're like, what?
1: Yeah, exactly. Hello. Um, maybe maybe wrong for you, but not wrong for me. right. So you, we all know what it is to be collaborative, but it takes courage to step back and trust other people and to trust the dynamic. And oh by the way, when you collaborate, it's not one and one equals two. It's one and one uh, you know one plus one or one plus one equals 11 because you remove that thing that isolates the numbers. So so there's an exponential. Um, learning and uh, creative problem solving when you're col- collaborative, um, and usually a better outcome. And then, as far as commitment, we do know what it is to be committed, and it takes commitment to be to have an inclusive mindset. But in the end, it's really commitment to yourself, because right. in doing all of this, you're going to gain as an individual. And then courage, as I said, courage is really kind of the underpinning of all this, but it's all held in a container of empathy and self-awareness. If you're not self-aware, it doesn't matter, nothing will shift, help you grow. Nothing. That's true. If you're not self-aware and understand your impact on other people. If you don't right. have empathy. Yes. And accept the fact that whatever is the other person's experience is true for them. It may not be true for you, but it's true for them. And to marginalize that experience is a disservice to the individual and to yourself. So
0: that's amazing. All right. I, I just want to, I promised everyone we would get to hear your story. We have about 10 minutes left. How did you get into this? What made you realize this is my professional superpower. This is my
1: passion. Oh God. It's a (laughs) long story because I'm at the yeah, kind of okay. Was, well, wisdom and the, the continuum.
0: No, Give but, us the ten-minute version. Like, even if you just want to tell us what was the start, like, what was the spark?
1: I actually think it was uh, growing up, you know, and feeling somewhat like like the other uh, for numerous reasons of which I will not go into. So there is all, and also, I w- I was raised in an environment where social justice is really important. You know, I, I remember one, one specific situation where I, when I was in college, I bought a, a book for little kids. Anyway, I was standing on a bus corner in Newark, New Jersey one night, and there was this little girl and her mom. And um, I, I wanted to give her the book, but I didn't. And I, I told my mother about the situation. She said, why didn't you give it to her? And, you know, so there's always been that thing inside Mm -hmm. of me. And, you know, when I got into business, it took me quite a while to get into business because I spent a lot of time figuring out, well, maybe another way of putting it is having a midlife crisis when I was, you know, just graduating from college. Okay. Um, I can see that. It's figuring out what you do and where you fit. So I did everything kind of backwards. So when I finally got into business I, as a woman in business, I was marginalized, you know, I okay. created a new profit center for a company I worked for. And I said, I want a piece of the action I said, no, you can't have it. But I knew my male counterparts would, you know, of not necessarily having a voice where I was taken seriously. Um, and then I became an entrepreneur and it got even worse. <laughs> oh no. Well, because it was a man's world and I was, when I was assertive, I was, I was accused of being aggressive. I was right. being, and being shut out because I wasn't, you know, I didn't wear, you know, I I wasn't a, a, in a male form. Right. So you were, you it, were feminine. I, yeah. Feminine uh, of sorts. Some people would say probably not, but that, that was, well, you know, your expression was, of it, that was the assertiveness.
0: Right. Ugh.
1: Um. You know. So, so then, uh. You know, I lost projects around that and so forth. So it was really pretty much an uphill battle, but I really didn't think too much about it. You know, I just said, "Well, it is what it is," and I worked it. But the thing that really got me, you know, actively going on this path was when I was teaching the MBA program at BU. Okay. And there was a convergence of a lot of different things. And I got, for lack of better terminology, pissed off about the lack of women in leadership. And I also noticed the behavior of the women in the class, which was a big class Mm -hmm. and women were in the minority, but I noticed, and I I did an experiment, which I, um, you know, I don't want to go into because it's lengthy. And, um, and then I also, you know, the class I taught was required at the beginning of the MBA studies. And then I had an elective class at the end of the MBA studies, third year students took. And I, and I saw the women and, uh, you know, some of the women I tracked. And right. a number of them got married during that time period. And they dialed back their ambition. Hmm. And I'm thinking, really, Uh, that's not a good idea because there is no Prince Charming. I've got news for you. Um, And there is no no guarantee that you're going to live happily ever after for a variety of different reasons.
0: I'm the same. I teach my girls. I'm like, you shouldn't have to depend on anyone else to provide for you. You can provide for yourself.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I was raised with... The fairy tales. And then I started looking at Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and I look through the lens of saying, hmm, what's the disempower?" You know, just looking at it. Right. And what I realized is that there are seven negative messages in there for women that are completely disempowering.
0: Mm. Oh, yes. I was just re watching this with my daughter the other day.
1: It's horrifying. Yeah, it's true. Like when you said that, I was like, Click, 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 click. Yes, what? <laughs> Every single Grim brother fairy tale is around disempowering women, and even Shakespeare in *Taming of the Shrew* was like Kate—you know, the female heroine—right? Was heroine. like heroine <laughs> um, was you know really dynamic and and so forth, and yet she had to be tamed. So y- you see all of this stuff, and I also did—I uh, have a workshop on managing uh communication differences between the the genders you know masculine versus feminine and, and behavioral expectations that go along with that and you know i just felt like every time i did it the women said well why should we change you know it's the men who are the problem well w- which is fine and that's true men are the problem but we are also number one they don't know what they're doing they are unaware of what they're
0: doing right Some of them are.
1: And number two, we, you know, we complain a lot and feel victimized a lot about our situation, as opposed to having the wherewithal to say, hey, I recognize that we are challenging the status quo. And there's a lot of power in recognizing that and then changing it. But changing it in a way, because I also have a background in change management. Nothing changes unless you meet people where they are, build the trust, and then you can move them forward.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, so so you were, so you went through this like period of time where you had these experiences, not just for yourself, but you watched other women, and I'm going to, step out on a branch here and say other people in minority groups experiencing this general disadvantage. And you wanted to see, can I do something to change that?
1: Yeah. In fact, it, um, it really, it really, um, was disturbing to me on a, on a deep level. And, So one of the things I knew about, you know, I looked around at what was going on in corporations and say, wait a minute, you know, the culture here sucks. You know, it's not particularly inclusive and everybody's going around talking about this and that and saying, Oh, we do this but And, you know, I I just say, listen, data, data is indisputable. And when, and you can't create a strategy a relevant, impactful strategy without data. Otherwise, it's like, you know, shotgun approach. What sticks, what doesn't stick.
0: Right. You can't so, be consistent.
1: And you have to be consistent and to really be judicious in the way you utilize your resources. So if one thing is working, why put a lot of money into it when there's another problem that is far more serious?
0: That needs those really? resources.
1: Yes. So that was the other thing. The, and everybody, I've been talking about inclusion actually being the DNA of organizations, but being based upon the perception of emplor, of the employees for 10 years now. And everybody's, no, oh, we have our bases covered now. You know, basically, I was the other again. I wasn't, my voice wasn't being heard. No matter what I said no matter how I positioned it. And I don't want to sound like I'm a victim because I'm certainly not a victim. I'm just speaking what the reality was. And so in the last year, (laughs) McKinsey is now saying the same thing. Hello. Don't you love it when that happens? (laughs) You're like, what? They're getting the credit? (laughs) Yeah, it makes my blood curdle, actually. Because right there is a a discrimination between the large consulting organization that has its reputation who by the way the top guns go in and they make the sale and then they send in underlings who really they're smart people but they don't have the depth of experience with which to really offer a robust solution mm-hmm. you know so there's the big consulting firms and then there are the boutique groups which are often ignored
0: which are usually better in my experience, because I've worked with a lot of boutique groups for different things and they are always better than the big firms and the pro the results are always better. And that's what I, you know, that's in messaging. That's what I go after for them. I'm like, listen, you're better and you're cheaper. Let's talk about that.
1: Yeah. You're going to be more, you're going to be more supportive. You're going to be more responsive. You're going to, you know, you're going to come up with a, a more robust solution. So, but this is another form of discrimination and it has to do with size and it has to do with the good old boy network.
0: And it also has to do with uh, assumptions, which we were talking about earlier, right? If you're bigger, you must be better. No, that's not the case. That's
1: not true. And actually, well, anyway, I won't go into that, but (laughs) you asked about my journey with inclusion. I continue to look at myself which is, gee, am I really walking the talk?
0: Right, are you still being curious?
1: Uh, yeah, well, I'm. unfortunately, the bane of my existence is I'm curious. The boon of my existence is I'm curious. You know, um, it's just one of those things I will, my bro, my father, when I, I think I was 12 or something, one summer said to me, I w- every time he said something, I said, really, why? Really, why? And my father finally got frustrated with me. He said, Could you just stop asking why? But I always ask the why.
0: You're like, Never. I will never stop asking that.
1: No, because therein lies the richness. I agree. All right. Okay. So
0: So I have your one line that I wrote for you. And I know you're a little bit nervous about this, but I think you're going to be happy with it. And if not, you can be like, Kristen. You're wrong, which is fine. I'm, I'm happy to be wrong because that's how I learn. So here we go. I'm going to bring it up on the screen right now. And this is live, everyone. So if there are grammatical mistakes in there, that's just the nature of the beast. So, Julia, this is your one sentence, and I'm going to read it aloud for you. I use data, see, there's a typo, to help organizations learn to be collaborative and courageous in their communication, which helps them find leaks in their systems to create real opportunities to be inclusive so that their general perception is consistent for different individual experiences.
1: Yes. And it's not, it's not necessarily just communication. Okay,
0: what else could you put if you're just choosing one more word, right? Because this is already lengthy. Culture. Okay, that's great. Communication and culture. Yes. All right. So I okay. will send that to you after the show. Um, but thank you so much for coming on. I know thank my you. audience is going to appreciate this conversation. And if there's just one little nugget you could leave them with, what would it be? And it can be something you already said.
1: Be curious. Yeah, that's what I hoped you would say.
0: <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Be curious, friends. Thank you for having thank you for coming on here and being your authentic self, Julia. I appreciate that. And for everyone who's listening, please remember that your business story matters. We will talk again soon. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to my mom's radical podcast. Cool face emoji. And if you want to be radical like my super awesome mom, then you should totes check out her Impact Accelerator. You just need to leave a review of this podcast and screenshot that baby and
1: send it to impact at symmetry.com. And like my mama always says, your business story matters. Hey, (laughs) uh, I don't sound like that. Let's do copyright.